Hey guys, this is Fiorella Nira. Welcome to the Planner and Training Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Fiorella Nira, and welcome to the Planner and Training Podcast. I am joined today by the amazing Lindsay Nickel. Lindsay, say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. So today we're going to be talking so many things in regards to business strategy, um, in regards to marketing, and also even some clientele and some pricing. But I want you guys to meet Lindsay first. So Lindsay, please introduce yourself to everybody. Tell them where you're from, what you do, and what you're currently focusing on. Hey, everyone. My name is Lindsay Nickel, and I am the owner of Lovely Day Events, which is a boutique wedding planning business for stylish hands-on couples that want to have fun on their wedding day. And I'm also a business and strategy coach for wedding planners who want to get more inquiries, book more weddings, and charge more money. And I live in Napa, California, but I did live in Jackson Hole for 10 years, which is where I started my wedding planning business. And I'm really excited to be here today and share some of what I've learned over the last 10 years so you don't have to do trial and error. You can hopefully just run with these ideas. I think you got me at the whole making more money. I'm all about making more money. Um, no shame in that. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so you started your wedding planning business in Jackson Hole. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up in Napa. Yeah, so I started the business um, in 2010 in Jackson Hole. And back then, if you remember, it was like the worst economy. And I was just kind of trying to figure out like, I was basically transitioning from like my ski bomb life to <laughs> having a job, like a consistent job life. Because I like to ski, but I wasn't one of those people who would get up at like five in the morning and then go skiing and then go to work and then like ski in the afternoon. Oh so I was really ready to like have something more like consistent, I guess, in my life. So I, but the economy was so bad. And basically I had this mentor who was like, you've been talking about starting a business, like just, just start this one. So that's basically how the wedding planning business started. Um, and at the time I also started a nonprofit consulting business because I really loved working with nonprofits. And what I worked with them on was uh, marketing and communication, special projects and special events. And since the season is so short in Jackson Hole, the a wedding business was actually more of a side job. And then fast forward five years and we moved to Napa. And it was a very sudden move for my husband to start his business. And it was like, okay, I can't do both of these businesses. But the wedding planning seems like it would do really well here. It would be really fun. I could meet a lot of people. I could see a lot of the area. I get to know it really fast. So I decided to continue with the wedding planning business full time. And so that was about five years ago. And I've honestly just haven't looked back. It's been a lot of fun. It's beautiful here. The season is so long here that you don't have to take a wedding like every single weekend because that would be six months out of the year. You'd be exhausted. Um, <laughs> so it's been a really nice. Uh, I'm raising my hand over here in the corner. <laughs> What'd you say? I'm raising my hand over here in the corner, but sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, so that's basically it in a nutshell. So I live in Napa and I do weddings in Napa and Sonoma. And sometimes we still do a wedding in Jackson Hole if it's the right couple. Wow. So there's been a lot of changes in your 
business and your business strategy, which brings us into Lovely Day Strategy, which is your second business, correct? Yep. So Lovely Day Strategy is where I work with wedding planners um, to help them with their marketing, their strategy, their business part. Because kind of what I found and one of the reasons I wanted to start this as a second business as opposed to something else was I just saw like all these really creative people who, not just wedding planners, but like florists, a lot of florists, um, you know, just all these creative wedding people that are always around sign making people who are so good at their craft, like whatever that thing is that they have a passion for doing. But the business part is just like not their strength. So they would make, you know, beautiful signs or make beautiful flowers or whatever their thing was. And then they'd say like, oh, my God, I'm not making any money on this wedding. Or I'd see a proposal and it's just like. I've seen some bad proposals. Let's just put it that way as a wedding planner. Cause you know, you see all the contracts and proposals come through and it's just like, mm-hmm. what? Oh my gosh. No, I hope nothing goes south because this is, this isn't going to work. So you, you know, but the end product is always a beautiful and amazing. So I was like, okay, there has to be a way to like help these people that are so good at what they do on the wedding day to build the back end of their business and their marketing and their strategy so that they can, you know, attract more clients charge more money because now they have this like whole professional experience from like receiving the inquiry to talking to the couple to sending the proposal, getting it signed and then working with them. So that's kind of how the idea started. Um, and I really focus on working with wedding planners in particular, but of course I'm happy to work with anybody. I've helped like people who have, um, one gal has like an Airstream business. Another girl had a like, bridal not bride dresses but like wedding party attire so it's been fun that's amazing and when somebody comes to you where do you get started because it seems like it's not just marketing but I think what a lot of people don't understand is that it's a lot of workflow and how you present the company itself as part of the marketing am I understanding that correctly yeah exactly so you know, it's not just what you do that day. It's like the whole experience that the client has, the couple, maybe even before they're engaged. So like your Instagram presence of, you know, making sure you're posting regularly on Instagram, making sure you're replying to people on Instagram, making sure, you know, that you have stories going. And I can't remember where I heard this, but I was like, that is such a smart way to look at Instagram where the person said that the, you know, the pictures in your feed, that's your portfolio basically so that's where your beautiful photos are that you really want to like showcase and show your best weddings and your best work and things like that and then instagram stories that's where you have your personality so that's when you're showing like the photos of you camping or the behind the scenes where like all the glassware is blowing over or maybe behind the scenes of a design meeting or maybe just you like laying on the couch on a sunday after a wedding with a wedding hangover and so that connection with people starts like even before they're engaged they might be following you and just getting to know you and then when they do get engaged you're on their newsfeed already and instagram and they are already familiar with you and so when you do these both of these things i know we were talking in the pre-interview interview interview, (laughs) we were talking about well my main question was how do you handle both of these businesses and you kind of touched in touched on lowering the number of clients that you are taking on. So can you tell me a little bit of how you added this second business, but then your client base is a little more elevated and so is your pricing? Yeah, okay, this is such a good question, guys. This is like right where I am right now. So a couple things is, 
you know, I've started like quite a few businesses at this point and it is very time consuming in the beginning of starting a business to get going and actually like get making money on it because there's so much time you have to put into the marketing of it, the building, the back end of it, like building your website and building your, you know, whatever platform you're going to use for inquiries, you know, just like, so to say, speak like building your house Mm -hmm. so that you can get going with everything. So honestly, in the beginning, I was just doing that like foundational stuff for lovely day strategy on the weekends after work, that sort of thing, because I had including this year, completely full workload. Um, so it's just sort of become this, like it was a side thing. And now going into the next year, 2020, I've, a lot of it has honestly been mindset and I'm totally on the mindset manifestation journaling Mm -hmm. wagon Mm -hmm. with everybody else out there, but really taking, you know, journaling and having a lot of clarity around like what you want your priorities to be so that you can follow through on those things and actually make it happen. So I had to make some really tough decisions in my wedding planning business about who exactly do I want to work with saying no to people, like a lot of people that in the past I probably would have said yes to or send a proposal to so that I could hit my numbers. But instead what I did was really identify like, okay, not just my like ideal audience, but my specific ideal client down to like, you know, what kind of car do they drive? What kind of pet do they have? So that I only am working with those people. And it was amazing. Like once I was started working with those ideal clients, I realized I could charge more. And I actually worked with a coach who specialized in mindset and making money basically. And she really encouraged me, like, just keep raising your prices and see what happens. Like, who cares if you're the highest package of that type? Like, see what happens. Um, so a lot of it honestly is mindset and clarity, being able to say no to some things and yes to other things, knowing that it will you know, open new opportunities for you. Wow. And so how many, how many clients do you take now per year? So this year I'm looking up at my whiteboard here. We did 12 weddings. Well, we were, we had 12 on the books and one unfortunately called it off. So we ended up doing 11. Um, and we just finished in October. And so I'm a one person show basically mm-hmm. for your listeners that I have not met me yet. Uh, so I did those 11 and, you know, we have different packages and so that's not all full service or not quote unquote right. day of or event management or whatever, but we ended the year with 11, which I felt good about because that really was actually more than I wanted to take. But in the fall, like where we are right now, I've been able to really focus on lovely day strategy and building out like cool freebies for people and really working on all that mindset stuff to make both of the businesses successful were were you did you give you yourself a set number I know you said that's a little bit more than what you were wanted to do this year but did you give yourself that number and what number that was that yeah so the number was eight (laughs) Um, so I have a whiteboard where I keep track of everything so yeah each so I've done this for a couple years Mm -hmm. where you know this is like a whole business lesson but like in a nutshell you basically figure out like okay to make I'm just to make the math easy here Mm -hmm. to make a hundred thousand dollars if I charge ten thousand dollars per wedding you know I need to have about 10 weddings but there's also commission and all that and I'm not really a math person so I don't get like and I'm gonna make this much on commission and I'm gonna make this much on here I just say like each one needs to be about ten thousand dollars if you need to make a hundred thousand dollars and you can do that with whatever your number is if it's you know you want to make fifty thousand dollars and you charge five thousand dollars then you need to book ten so you I kind of figured out like that like this is how much money I want to make this is, you know, how many weddings do I need to book at this average price point? 
and then figure like that's how I come up with the number. But how I got tripped up that this year because you know people book so far out is I hadn't like made these mindset shifts yet of like I'm only going to work with this ideal client and so mm-hmm. I and I really hadn't honed in like the super fine details and I hadn't decided yet in my head like I'm going to say no to people who don't fit that criteria like I would I actually rank everybody after I talked to them on the phone with a post today wow and I was taking everybody who's like four or five for an ideal client and that's how I got to eight pretty fast and then I said okay no more but then these last four kind of snuck in, as they say, because they really were ideal clients. And I was like, I can't say no to them. Like, I have to work with them. And then I ended up with 12. So that's kind of a, a long answer to your question. Figure out what your, how much money you need to make for the whole year, not just your salary, but to run your business. Figure out, like, the average wedding that you do. Divide that into your total. And that's how many weddings you need to book. And then you maybe need to adjust. If that number is 22 weddings and you're a one-person show – some things need to change. Yeah. And so I, I want to dig into something. I think something that really helps other planners, wherever all of you guys are, is giving a little bit of perspective into pricing in your market. So because you touched into pricing, can you tell me a little bit about your market? What is the average wedding budget that you're working with? So in our market, since we're based since Napa and Sonoma, counties I would consider like luxury markets I mean we get everything of course we get people doing the backyard we get people doing like giant weddings but I would say we're more or less like a luxury market not the ultra luxury market though Mm -hmm. I mean we get some of them but we're really the luxury market you I would say in wine country the weddings like an average wedding for 100 to 120 people is starting at a hundred thousand dollars and that's not including you know like the dress the rings or anything like that it's really, Mm -hmm. really just their vendors and their venue that day Wow. Our average guest count over here, I'm in the Midwest, it's 300 people, 250 oh. to 300 people. So, and oh my God. we have like half, almost 40% of that budget. So that's amazing. So tell me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's all relative. It is all relative. Hole, it's totally all relative. In Jackson Hole, the budget's... um, You're kind of all over the spectrum, but you, as you know, depending, I would say like, 60 to 100, 120 for like quote unquote average wedding. But that's a high end market as well because it's so expensive to live there. But if you go an hour and a half outside of Jackson Hole to a really rural area, I would bet the budget for a wedding there is like $10,000, $20,000. Wow. So it's totally relative. And how you're saying 250 to 300, I was like, I don't even know where I would put 250 to 300 people <laughs> in the country. There's like five options. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And tell me a little bit about your fees. So with a hunt, because you mentioned something about commission, do you charge commission? So out here, a lot of the rental companies will um, pay commission. So what you can kind of think of commission as is like retail price and wholesale price. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. the rental companies here and some of them are you know, national, lots of people across the country use them. So, you know, if the chair costs, again, I'm just using round numbers I'm making up. If the chair at the rental company, you know, the client rents it for $10, um, you can make, and it depends on the account you have, like 10 to 20% commission, which I just consider to be like, you know, the wholesale price versus the retail price for mm-hmm. the time that we're putting in a planner to design it, do the 
floor layouts go back and forth countless times with the re with the rental person so that we're really saving that rental person all of that time doing that work with them and for them. So tell me, I know people are going to be wondering this as well. How do you, because this question comes up all the time at almost every meetup that we've had, how do you word that on your contract? And do you let your clients even know that you're getting commissions? Um, it's, oh, that's a good question. I don't believe that it's in our contract. If people do ask, or if it comes up in our design meetings, usually we just say like, it's retail price. Like you're getting the retail price and you know, we make some money off of this and we just explain it exactly the way we just did. Like that's the retail price. And you know, we, it's, I sell it, I receive it at wholesale price and you pay retail price. And you know, just like any other business, like if you're going into anthropology, they're paying, you know, $6 for the candle and selling it to you for $12 because of the time and work they need to put into making that experience for you. That is so it's just, I mean, they could, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I think you're the first person that has explained it that way. I think a lot of people say, well, because I'm doing all the work, because, you know, like the more rentals and more work, but you do have a point. There is a retail and a wholesale price and most rental companies will give you a discount as a planner. You, you just have to put it either through your books or they give you a kickback, but that is a very good point and a great way to explain it. It's a retail and a wholesale price. Hmm. Yeah. And that really makes sense to people because they understand retail and wholesale. wholesale pricing but like if you just like oh we get commission they're like well wait what i don't understand um but you know you you're putting an extra time to do that so yeah. you should be making money for doing that and you're really saving the rental company a ton of time by bringing them a finished order basically right so tell me a little bit about and i'm gonna bounce back now um to the number of weddings that you take a year um, so this year you took on 12. Did you take on more last year? Last year, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I want to say it was like maybe 18. Mm -hmm. And so it, we've definitely consciously taken less each year. Have you ever, well, you said consciously taken less each year. So have you ever reached burnout? Yeah. <laughs> Every year I think I reach burnout. <laughs> Um, yes. So, I mean, I'm one of those people who just like loves the work basically. Yeah. Like even if it's not actually working on like my business, I'll like, I like to like tinker basically, like reorganize <laughs> things. And like, I, I'm actually, I would say fold laundry, but I'm horrible. I don't like to fold my laundry. So that's a bad example. But you know, I like to like browse cookbooks to see like, what am I maybe going to cook this week? Or, you know, you know, like, we're gonna, I mean, we have an old dog, so, and people on Instagram watch my old dog a lot, so, you know, I'm like, oh, what am I gonna, like, do for my old dog, or take her for a walk, or, like, what vacation am I gonna, like, daydream about, so, I'm, like, kind of just, like, a busybody in that sense, so, burnout does happen, because I'm always mm -hmm. doing little projects, or working actual job. And how did you get out of burnout? So the most recent way, which is a little bit of a story, is so this summer was actually really interesting because our wedding season, it, our prime wedding season, I would say, is like the last week of April all the way through the first week of November. And about 
last summer, so not 2019, but 2018, I realized a lot of my weddings were booked in the spring. And then I had like a couple in the fall and I was having this gap in the summer for June and July. And I realized, oh my God, I could have a real summer. So I made a decision not to take any weddings in June or July so that I could have a, a real summer, as I was calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happened, which started as really good intentions to have this real summer and like go to all this fun summer stuff that I usually don't get to do, because, you know, as wedding planners and anybody in weddings, like you work on the weekends and you yeah. work in the summertime because that's when people are getting married. But that's also when people are having weddings that you're invited to that we usually have to say no to that's when you know birthday parties are happening fourth of july parties all these fun social Mm -hmm. events that we usually end up saying to so i just like swung in the other direction and said yes to every social event and everything that came my way because for like the first time in my adult life i had june (laughs) july free of events (laughs) so we went to europe for two weeks like we did all kinds of stuff. Like we bought a house, we moved, we went to Europe, like everything happened this summer. And and I just got to the point. So I think it was in August, my girlfriends from high school have an annual camping trip. And it was, you know, 20 years in a row, like, okay, so I'm going to go. I've only been to two in the last like 10 years, because I've always been weddings. So I was like, okay, I have to go. And I remember just actual tears sobbing beforehand like leaving on Thursday like I don't know if I can do this anymore like I'm so tired from the summer and we just said yes to everything and I have these weddings that you know are high end and I want to do a good job and I don't want to let my clients down but like I'm so burned out from saying yes to everything and doing working with my wedding planning clients and launching this new business it was just like train came off the tracks that night I remember um And my husband was like, well, maybe don't go like, and then you can get caught up on work. And I knew immediately that was not the answer because that would just keep me in the cycle of working really hard, getting burned out and then having to melt down. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go on this camping trip. And this camping trip to get there is like two and a half hours from my house. So I just loaded up my phone with some podcasts and listened to music and podcasts driving up there, which was really good because I just, obviously from listening to the podcast and just having like, space to not be working or thinking a million miles an hour to realize like okay some changes need to happen here so long story short what I decided those changes had to be were I just had to like what I've been calling like trim the fat like stop saying yes to everything just really focus on what you're saying yes to and where you're spending your time um and then I was like I have to make my clients my number one priority not to say that they weren't before but I get like a lot of anxiety around um, if I feel like I neglect, like don't talk to my clients like very regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, so I need to stay really focused on my clients because that's like why these businesses exist. Didn't want to lose sight of that. And then also really delegating. And I have a virtual assistant, which I highly recommend everybody out there has a virtual assistant, even if it's only five hours for the month. So I was like, I need to delegate more to my virtual assistant, like a lot more. Um, so those were like the three overarching things that I did. And then I also just gave myself permission that weekend. So it was two nights for the camping trip of like, don't worry about work. Don't think about work. Just unwind, decompress. Also, obviously we were camping. So we were like in nature, um, having fun with like people I've known my whole life. And it was just like the 
perfect opportunity to hit the reset button. So the fourth thing I would add to that list of things to do is like find a way to hit the reset button, like take two days off, whatever your thing is. You know, if you love camping, if you love hiking, if you love yoga, if you love, um, I don't know, whatever your thing is, apple picking, baking, like take time off and just like give yourself permission to say no to things just so you can like decompress and like collect yourself and feel more relaxed, I guess, like going forward. Wow. So essentially you just kind of have to break, break the pattern. Yeah. You do. And be like, what what changes am I going to make? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have stuck with those changes, I must say. So it's been, I mean, virtual assistant is huge because you can delegate so much of that stuff that you don't have to be doing, like social media scheduling. Um, you know, she helps with blog posts and stuff like that. So anything that you personally don't have to do, like obviously you have to plan the weddings, but there's so much behind the scenes stuff that you can delegate to a virtual assistant. I agree. I think that was my first hire was the virtual assistant and they actually, she actually didn't even start for social media. She started to taking in taking my inquiries because, Mm -hmm. um, and I think this was maybe four years ago. And what, what I found myself was going back and forth to see if they were even a good client or a good candidate for myself. And I was just like, this is all the same questions that I cannot be doing this, especially because the biggest time for inquiries, a lot of times come in two influxes for us. It's, you know, engagement season, which we all know about. And then the tail end of wedding season, which I don't know who came up with that. But for some reason for us, that tail end of wedding season where we're, or, you know, we're tired. That's when we get another kick of inquiries and man, was I over it. So I actually got a a virtual assistant and it was the best. It was on my calendar. I knew who I was meeting, what I was meeting them for, where they were getting married. They were, they were already, um, what is that word filtered, I guess, for the lack of a better word. And I Mm -hmm. knew who I was meeting, what we were going to do. And it was probably nine out of 10 that I would book that client. And I hadn't even, That's awesome. it, it, it just worked out great. It doesn't work like that anymore because my position has changed a little bit. Um, but get yourself a virtual assistant because they're, amazing. I know that's a whole nother podcast of yeah. like hiring, vetting, firing, training, everything like, but it's like, I agree. That was the first hire I ever made or I had some assistants before, Yeah. but when I got to California, it was the first person that I hired. Wow. One of the other topics that you had suggested we chat about was reviews. Tell me a little bit, how do you use your reviews to book more clients? Okay, so I love reviews for a lot of reasons. First of all, obviously, it's really exciting. I'm like, always say it's Christmas when the reviews come in. um, (laughs) Because it just feels so good to see all these reviews and remember the weddings. But what it doesn't just end with like receiving the reviews on the knot or wedding wire or whatever the platform is, even if it's just emails or Facebook, um, you can leverage all of those reviews to get more clients. So some super easy tips of how you can leverage those reviews are your website. So, you know, most people have a testimonials page on your website, but I would bet that if you looked at your SEO, your analytics, that, 
that is not a visited page or it's like one of the least visited pages, Mm -hmm. but you can take those testimonials and put like one on each of your pages. So let's pretend you do floral design as part of your wedding packages and you have a page where you talk about your floral design. You should include a testimonial from one of your clients about how much they love the florals that you also did for their wedding. Or if you have a really high end full service package and you want help, you know, getting people to understand the value of that, have a quote, a testimonial from somebody who says what a great value you were and how they couldn't have done it without you and include that on that page. So put one testimonial and it can even be like a snippet from a testimonial on each of your web pages because people are visiting your web other web pages a lot more than they're going to be visiting just your testimonials. Wow. What a great tip. We have, I mean, we have them on one page, but I never thought about putting it on every page that has to do with a different service. That is a great tip. Do you, do you retype them? Do you screenshot them? What, what's the best practice there for you? Um, I personally usually just like copy and paste whatever is relevant out of the whole testimonial, you know, cause usually people will write like really long testimonials and I, I don't want that taking up all the space on my website on that one web page. So I'll just like, you know, highlight, copy and paste like the two to five sentences that make the most sense for the page it's going to go on. And then, you know, it's just like everything else. People are so busy. They just want like short and sweet. So if they're reading about, again, like the amazing design you did, and then right after that, or maybe in the middle of the page, it says like, it was the most beautiful design. People were complimenting us like for weeks afterwards about how it's the most beautiful wedding they've ever been to. Like that's golden. And that should go on people's design page. Wow. I love that. Thanks. That's one of my favorite and most easy tips. (laughs) Yeah. How, How do you go about requesting to your clients for reviews? So I really leverage the not because they have a deadline and, you know, like, again, people are so busy. Um, so we say, you know, when it comes up at the end of the year in the fall, like the not is, you know, accepting reviews to get an award for next year. And we really love working with you. Could you please send us a, a review or write a review on the not and we give them a link. And so we got about half of them will come in that way, but some people need some extra prodding. So what you can do for that first round of people, if you have people that you're like, I know that wedding was a home run, but they haven't written a review yet, send them a personal email. So I'll say like, you know, you know, dear, dear Sally and Joe, like, it was so great working with you on your wedding. I hope you had so fun, so much fun in your honeymoon in the Bahamas. I'll never forget your wedding, you know, grandma dancing on the dance floor till midnight. I hope you could like when well, I say so I say something in the beginning that's like personal about their wedding so that they know this is not a email a blast. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I'm actually writing to you. And then so that's like very short, like, again, three to five sentences. Next paragraph, two to three sentences. Hey, I could really use your help, you know, reviews from really awesome clients like you or how we book more clients just like you that we love working with. Can you please leave us a review on the knot to help us book more clients? Please do it by this date because then we're eligible to win an award. And then we get like a lot more people, you know, probably 25% more right back to that. And then usually we'll send one more. If I'm like, I know this one was a home run. They're just busy or they've been out of town. I'll just email them one last time, like right before the deadline and say like, Hey, you know, 
whatever Friday is the last day to get reviews that count towards the award. Like it would be so helpful for me. So now I'm asking like a personal favor, like it would be so helpful for me and my business. Cause I want to get more clients just like you. Can you leave a super fast review? Um, and then they usually do. That's amazing. I, I really like that. Yeah. You so you have to be strategic, just like anything, like people are busy and you just need to be strategic and make it super easy for them. Like put the link where you want your review in mm-hmm. the email. Like if it's the not, if it's Facebook, if it's Google, like click here. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just click and fill it out. Amazing. So tell me a little bit about networking. I know that was another big topic with you as well. And how to, in particularly, how to network without attending mixers. Um, what do you have to say about, I'm interested about this one. So tell me a little bit more. <laughs> okay, so this is also one of my favorite topics because when I first moved to wine country, I was like, I was just going to like meet as many, my, one of my strategies was to like meet as many vendors as possible. Mm-hmm. But I, I literally did not know one wedding vendor in wine country when I moved here. So what I did was attend as many mixers as I could, which was terrifying because this is, I, here I am coming from, and again, this was like mindset, I guess, but here I was coming from Wyoming to Napa and Sonoma, this like really beautiful, chic, high end area. And I was just attending so many mixers. So we had like association mixers, but then it's also really popular out here for venues to host mixers so that they can, you know, show wedding vendors their venue and stay top of mind. And I was just going to as many as I possibly could. And I remember sitting in my car in the parking lot before these mixers, like reading on my phone, like how to make the most out of networking, what to do at networking events, because it was just honestly not that fun to go someplace where I did not know anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Now I think they're really fun because I do know the people and I'm like, sweet, I get to like hang out with my friends, eat some good food, some good wine, meet some new people. Um, But in the beginning, I mean, it was terrifying and it was not fun to like go where I didn't know anybody and it was brand new and it was intimidating. So I would read on my phone like tips. So I totally understand everybody out there why it's intimidating to go to networking stuff. Um, so that was like one of the tactics that I did was just attend every networking event I could. And I did all the traditional stuff. But the other thing that I did that worked, I would say in a different way that helped complement that was I met with people one on one. And it's that one on one relationship that really like built my business. So if you're a wedding planner, and you're trying to expand to a new area, or you're trying to, you know, grow or you're trying to scale, or you're just trying to like shift in your business model, meet with venues, or at least that's what works in our area, because we get a lot of referrals from venues. And that is what I did when I started my wedding business in Jackson Hole. I just met with like all the vendors I could in person because there's a lot less. It's a very small town. But here I couldn't meet with like all the florists and all the photographers and all the venues. So I focused on meeting with the venues because that is where planners get a lot of referrals from. So I just made a list, a spreadsheet, of like all of the vendor venues in wine country. And I started to go see them and I'd see like anywhere between like one and four a day. Um, but it was those one-on-one relationships of meeting people and making that like personal connection. And you don't go there with like a sales pitch of like, here are my packages and here's how I can, you know, make your venue better and how I can, you know, you bring me clients. You're really going so that you can, just meet those people and have a personal connection so that when you do see them at that networking event, it's like, oh, I already know you. We've gotten to know each other. And I'll say like some of those people that I met 
five years ago on those venue meetings, I guess, mm-hmm. were are like now some of my closest friends because then we would work together and get to know each other and then do stuff outside of work. So you can network by meeting people one-on-one. Venues are really easy, great way because you can ask like for a tour of their venue basically. And then there you go. Boom. There's the whole meeting. Um, and then other stuff, like once you kind of get to know people, if, you know, let's say there's like a new catering person that you want to meet with, you know, say like, Hey, can we go to coffee? Which I love for a networking thing without attending a networking event. Like not a whole meal because that is time consuming and expensive. And it's like another level basically, but meeting for coffee is perfect. Like it's casual, it's brief, you know, it's some time together, but there's not like a big commitment. Um, so meet for coffee. There's even some people, you know, people out, are very outdoorsy in California. So it'll be like, let's go for a hike or like, let's go for a walk after work and catch up that way or, and see what's going on in your business. And so that kind of thing works well, like at the go for a hike or something, you know, meet for drinks works a little bit better for a vendor that you already know and, or would like to get to know better, not necessarily a cold call. Cause that maybe they don't like hiking. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a little creepy too. If you've never met them and you're like, Hey, you want to go yeah. on a hike in somewhere secluded? <laughs> yeah, totally. But coffee is very neutral. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really funny, but this year I actually had, did not do any coffee, coffee with anybody, but somebody recently invited me out to coffee and I was delightfully surprised um, one, because I don't tend to do that, especially for this year, just because I had my, my goal set in particular areas. But since I was coming out of the season, it actually just happened last week and it was great. Um, it was like you said, sometimes if you're planning on taking your business in a different way, which is what this vendor was doing in particular, um, and he just invited me to, to coffee and he talked about how things were changing and what he had changed. And it just, one, put him at the top of mind. And then two, also made me, gave me some ideas of what other different items can he provide now that he's made these changes what couples i can pl- i can um partner with with him to make their day even better um so i think that is a great idea and i know sometimes you know we're busy and we can't do coffee um but if you can and if you're able to at least or with a venue if you go to take a tour that's always helpful yeah i, I totally that. agree and that same thing actually just happened to me like a month or two ago I wasn't doing any like coffee dates because it was the wedding season but this DJ company that I work with she was like let's get together I'll be in Napa so I was like okay um and it's just nice to connect and they you know she reminded me about some packages that they do like that I hadn't really thought about recently um but one thing that they did which I was like that's so smart is they asked like what can we do to make like working with you easier and better for everybody. And I'm like, Oh, that's so great. I'm going to start asking that. So if it's a vendor you already work with, like, what can I do to improve? And what can I do to like work together more? What, what can we do to make your life easier? Cause especially as wedding planners, I feel like people really ask us what they can do to make our lives easier. So, you know, don't be afraid to like expose yourself a little bit. And like, how can I make things better? Or what do you like that we do that we should keep doing that maybe I was thinking about not doing? Exactly. And so 
just because we're running out of time here, I know that a lot of people who are listening to this episode are also um, new planners. Um, and by that, I mean they have two years or less of experience. Is there anything that you think they should be doing to grow their business um, exponentially for next year? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many things, but I would say a couple things off the top of my head are find a mentor that could either be, you know, a coach that you've hired. My mentor was like a woman who was like 10 years ahead of me in her business. And it doesn't even have to be somebody in like the wedding industry per se. It could just be someone that you admire as a business person. So find some sort of mentor that you can talk to about pricing, burnout, you know, tough clients, growth, those kinds of things. So a mentor, another huge thing when I first started in the beginning was get real bookkeeping software. <laughs> like I was <laughs> yes, using, please. <laughs> it's like, it's, thank you. Yeah. It's like, especially if you're not a numbers person, which I am not like, but be like Google drive didn't even exist when I got started. So I was just using an Excel sheet, but like invest. It's so cheap now, like $20 a month or whatever it is for fresh books is what I use, which is really great. I know a lot of people love QuickBooks. I know a lot of people love Dubsado. Like invest in that bookkeeping software and just think of like, what it would be the next level you do. The next level you do is not using an Excel spreadsheet like I did. So don't do that. <laughs> Definitely get like legit bookkeeping software, even if you're doing your own books, I guess, especially if you're doing your own books. Yeah. Um, and then for like the date, like this wedding specific stuff, like you've got some weddings under your belt, get those reviews. Like we just talked about what reviews are so valuable for attracting the type of client that you want. So even if, you know, like you said, you're in the second year, maybe your third year of planning, it's okay to go back to those people from your first year and your second year, you know, hey, I've been thinking about your wedding and I loved, you know, the big red arch we did, um, you know, we're making some updates to our website and I would love to include a testimonial from you and probably they're going to write you a review. So get those reviews and then just keep meeting people and like stick with it. I would say, I, I mean, I totally remember starting we were like, Oh my gosh, what am I got, what got myself into? But like stick with it, go to those mixers to meet people that you haven't met yet and meet with people in person as well. You know, especially if you're, again, if you're that two to three year mark, you've been working with vendors, you know who you like working with. And now that it's getting to the winter, call those people up and invite them for coffee or if they're a venue, invite yourself to come see the venue. Like, hey, when would be a good time for me to stop by and see your venue and like see what's going on with you for next year? That's great. Those were amazing tips. Thank you so much. Lindsay, where can people find you? Yep. So I am, of course, online at lovelydaystrategy.com. And then Instagram is the same at lovelydaystrategy. And I'm pretty active on Instagram stories. That's where you can see, like I was saying, my old blind dog or just like random day to day stuff that's going on. What's your dog's name? Pinky. <laughs> oh, my God. And what kind of dog is it? She's an American Eskimo dog mutt, and we think she's about 16. Oh, oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you and appreciate the time that you have put into um, our conversation. I look forward to connecting with you online. I'm super excited to see, also to see what next year is going to be like for you. So good luck with everything. And everybody, go over there and follow Lindsay, connect with her. She's got tons of goodies for you to learn from and to get your business 
growing. Um, thank you everybody again for listening and I'll talk to you soon.